Hi, and welcome to Divorce Hacker. I'm your host, Ann Grant. On this show, we'll have a variety of guests who've been through divorce and are experts on the topic. Whether you're thinking about a divorce, in the midst of it, or already divorced, we are here to share our stories with you in the hope that you may relate, learn, process, and overcome whatever you're experiencing in your life. Wendy Jones is the founder of Be Better Media and host of her own podcast, What I Meant to Say. As a mother of four, She is passionate about generational healing so that we can connect with each other and create families and communities from a place of strength. The stories told through her work at Be Better Media encourage each of us to listen more and judge less on our path to self-awareness. In her spare time, you will find her at the beach playing volleyball and enjoying her yoga practice. Wendy, thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. So generational healing is really what you're about and known for. First of all, can you tell us what that is? Yeah, you know, when I, well, I, it's a term that I came up with about six years ago when I went through my divorce. <clears throat> and I was looking for answers and when I started realizing I knew I needed to heal. And I want, as I started writing, I realized that these stories for the reason, part of the reasons that I needed to heal, these stories went further back in my family. Like we were an evolution of all these stories that came before us. And so generational healing is really having that ability to look back and not judge or blame, but have a realization of what came before you that brought you to this space in your life. I love that. So that was my, and became my North Star going through my divorce, because when you're going through something that's that hard, you, as an optimist, I was always looking for that silver lining of like, I have to be going through this for a reason. And I never really lost that feeling, even though there's some days that you just sit on your couch and you don't know what, what quite to do next. But I never lost that feeling that there's something bigger going on here. And that's what, you know, kept kept me going and it got me to be better media. So it just keeps evolving. I love this. So let's talk, let's dig into this. This is similar to my own experience. And I think that what I've, I've observed with the women that I work with and the men too, is that their ability to come out of divorce and not just survive, but thrive depends upon their ability to do what you just described, which is look at, for example, divorce Mm -hmm. as an opportunity. Can you speak a little bit more about specifically, you said that you were writing, but talk to us more about being in that space, going through a divorce. I know that you have four children, specifically give us some tools that those who are watching can implement as they're facing their fears on this journey of of being in a divorce situation. Yeah, I mean, it can be a really scary time. And there's a, I can't say I saw it coming for a long time, but I definitely saw it coming for maybe six to eight months before everything really fell apart. And I had always been a, a journaler. And then I I look back and there was a time that I had stopped writing. Like I just, it was like I didn't want to really confront what was going on. And you just kind of sweep it under the rug and you keep, you know, shuffling your kids around and making dinner and doing that kind of stuff. But I had stopped writing. And I went through, my separation started in May of 2016. I started writing again in March of 2016. And I realized, oh gosh, something's about to go down. And when I started writing again, I really realized that that I saw what was happening and I felt myself coming back. And so one of the things I think you can do, I think journaling is an incredibly healing um, thing that we can undertake and it feels really scary, but you can start so small. You can just even start like with two sentences a day. This is how I'm feeling today. Like it doesn't have to be this big flowery, 
you don't have to wrap it all up and figure it all out in one journal entry, but just to write and then to have that to go back to as you go through whatever you're about to experience, it's it's very healing to look back on too. So journaling is probably my number one thing that got me through. And then I love helping other people kind of establish that practice. So my own experience is somewhat similar. I um, You mentioned, you know, shuffling the kids around and making dinner. And I think particularly as mothers, um, we're so, so busy tending to the needs of our, our children, our spouses, um, and we can lose ourselves in that. And what I've observed with the people that I work with is sort of this willful blindness, this being in denial, the red flags are flying, that the marriage isn't working um, for a plethora of reasons, either, you know, often wanting for my, in my case, I wanted to maintain our family. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't expect to ever be getting divorced. I didn't grow up wanting to be a, a, a divorce lawyer. I was a corporate litigator. My ex-husband was as well. Um, I thought we were going to be married and be together for life and all eternity. That was the plan. And so I think it's very common to busy ourselves with the things that need to be done. And also some people engage in what I'll call the numbing behaviors. And I know that you work um, in this space too with, you know, whether it's work, we can numb ourselves with work, um, alcohol, marijuana, eating, like online shopping. There, there's any number of ways to numb ourselves and not face reality, not be where our feet are. Mm. So I think journaling, something um, part of my practice when I came to the realization that our marriage needed to end was I really deepened my prayer and meditation practice. And I still, to this day, will do that along with journaling pretty much every morning. Yeah. Um, reading the masters, whether it's Eckhart Tolle yeah. um, or books like yours that you've written. Thank you. Um, so that I'm grounded. And then some of the other practices that I've developed that sort of flowed naturally from that are yoga, which is a, a moving meditation. I think you're a, a yogi. Yeah. Um, but... In any event, there's any number of ways where we can ground ourselves and deal with things as they are, not as we'd like them to be. And I think that is really important in the first step in moving through this process. Do you have any additional thoughts on that beyond well, the journaling practice? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a, I am a huge yogi, and that really develops through my divorce as well because as an athlete the moving actually made the meditation possible I was not so good at sitting and meditating until I started yoga and I understood what the meditative brain felt like but I couldn't get there without the movement and then now because I have my yoga practice and I understand what that brain state is I can now meditate I can sit still and meditate but I don't think I could have before my by before my yoga practice. So that one's huge. I'm a daily yogi. And um, the other thing that you said that caught my ear was the addictive nature of, of, you know, addiction is really just a disconnection with ourself, right? Yeah. And so when we don't want to be connected, when there's something that's bothering us and it's hard to look at, that addiction serves to disconnect us from what we don't want to look at. And you know, I think that can happen at any stage of life, and there's different personalities that are more prone to addiction and less, but that addictive, you know, those things really disconnect us from ourselves and from the people that we love. And whether a marriage stays together or splits apart, if that is in your home, it's not a healthy environment, you know. Whether you're a single parent or dual parent household, it is something that is so bad for you and so bad for your kids. That is something that I love to help people get them to the right place. And you have to want to help yourself, but it's something that really, in, in generational healing, almost always when you look in these generational healing stories, there is an addictive pattern that has come through. Whether you're the child of an alcoholic whether you, even if your parent was 
raised by an alcoholic and as the you know the next generation you didn't even know it there will be something in the emotional disconnection that really affects our personalities and then the way that we bond with each other so and that's a lot i had to do a lot of digging on that stuff because you people don't want to blame people they love it's not a blame game Mm -mm. you know it's i always say like kind of the foundation of the work that i do i go people are doing the best they can with what they know and if you just take that as a blanket statement and work from there you lose the judgment and you just say but then when i add on to that statement is people are doing the best they can with what they know but it's our responsibility to know more so you have to keep learning and if you stop that's when things you know the wheels come off so i love that yeah i love that perspective i um i like you had a similar epiphany as i was going through my divorce um You know, it's one of those things that really shakes things up in a way that few other things do and causes you to take, if if you're mindful, a very close look at yourself. Um, Because whether you're dealing with a situation, not to cast blame, um, where it's obvious that the marriage needs to end for reasons that have to do with your spouse, you were deeply impacted by having been with that person and in that energy for a long time and so you have to heal yourself you it's kind of like the oxygen mask in an airplane you can't help your children until you help yourself first it's really true yeah you learn that firsthand when you go through yeah a divorce and the generational healing aspect of it when you become mindful and introspective you really you start to realize like question why am i reacting in this way mm-hmm. you know there's no longer a tiger chasing us through the jungle like there may have been eons ago yeah but perhaps we experienced something from as as you described being a child where several generations back even there was substance abuse that gets passed down and carried through and it's almost like you have to clear that and break that chain or you're just going to keep passing it down passing the misery down through the generations and it's a very um you have to be very proactive about it yeah i i know for myself i've joined support groups um when i meet with clients particularly given the pandemic Mm -hmm. and the isolation that it imposed many of the clients that that come in to meet with me as a family law attorney their spouses relapsed during the um the pandemic and they just can't take it anymore yeah and i will tell them to they have to do two things before i can work with them they have to have a therapist because even if their spouse is the substance abuser i know that they've been deeply impacted by that and they need to go to a, usually a program like al-anon or another program like that so that they have support yeah and have you found that having a support system as you became focused on generational healing, was that something that, that helped yes. you? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd never been to therapy until I was into my divorce process. And I had a friend who was going to, uh, she was going to school to be a marriage and family therapist. And she referred me to her therapist that she had been using. And um, she's, so I went for the first time. And when I walked out of there, I was like, okay, I feel like 25 pounds lighter. I was like, I had no idea it was going to be that freeing. Because you go in kind of nervous. And like, if you've come from a family where people don't talk about their feelings or their emotions, or you're kind of a sweep it under the rug family, which I think that's, that's also generational. And that's definitely kind of my background. So when I let that stuff out in a safe space, I didn't realize how much the weight that that was going to take off of me. So therapy, I'm a huge proponent and I still go and I still have that same therapist and she's amazing. Um, And I have been, I've been to Al-Anon meetings. I've been, I've been to even been to AA meetings just to hear the perspectives of the addictive process and the impact that it has on people and their families. Um, and then through my podcast, as I start to talk to people 
who are on these healing journeys. That's been so eye-opening because now I've talked to people that have really transformed in the ways that I've always believed were possible. But then when you see it, like in a, in, in, when you look in someone's eyes and you're like, wow, to hear their whole story and see where they are today, whether, you know, through addiction, through, you know, PTSD, all the things that we face as human beings, because no, nobody's, you know, everybody's going to experience some trauma in their life. Right. right. Yeah. And learning not to compare our trauma and then just listen to other people. It really is just that space of human connection that then that's where we heal. So, I mean, I think as we listen to those stories, we get more comfortable to tell our own. And so I think there, there's something actually, I had someone on my podcast and it was about, there's a term called narrative medicine and it's being studied at Columbia University. And it's really that concept of the support group. And what it takes is people who are willing to tell their story and people who are actively listening. And that to me is, that's the key. If you have those two things in a home, in a relationship with your child, in a support group, however that is, you need both of those things. So people need to be comfortable enough to tell their story and they need to have someone who actually really cares and deeply listen. And all kinds of healing happens in that space. Yeah, I can attest to that. I've seen that happen. I've seen miracles happen when those things are combined and then people are able to to be self-reflective and understand how reactive they are being. I, I had that experience where uh, during my divorce, I found that I had this feeling in the, like the pit of my stomach, which for those of us who practice yoga, we, the, the solar plexus, the solar plexus yeah. that's your power chakra. And it just felt sick all the time. And I wasn't a yoga practitioner at that time, but I knew that like it was, I felt like it was eating me from the inside out. Um, and I try every, every time I was traveling, I would buy books about how to overcome fear and I try to analyze it in my brain and I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and so through working with a therapist who practiced somatic mm. therapy, which is about getting to, you know, the feelings that are in your body, and through some other work that I've done, I realized how reactive I had been to situations based on some things that had happened in my childhood. Yeah. And it just wasn't serving me. And so through this practice of having a support group, therapist, like you said, active listening from people who really understand, it's a tremendously freeing experience. And then you have so much energy available to show up fully for your children to create a podcast, to find your purpose and meaning in life, which is the key to, you know, being happy and being fulfilled. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute. I know that you have four children. Let's talk a little bit about in your own divorce. What was it like to step out of a marriage and be on your own as a single mom with four children? First, what were their ages at the time of your divorce? So my oldest was 16, so there's seven years between them. So they were 16 to nine. And um, so that's a pretty good span of like different, you're, you're kind of dealing with different mentalities, obviously. From and the, different so schools, driving them to different locations. And at some points I had four kids at four different schools. Yeah. Um, grateful, you know, Hermos is small, so the, the, they were, but still four kids at four different schools. Um, and... It was scary. That's the first word. It's but, terrifying. Yeah. It was, uh, there's no, it's just terrifying. Yeah. Like it doesn't pencil out. Divorce Hacker Survive to Thrive is brought to you by Manhattan Beach Family Law. We are your go-to divorce firm specializing in resolution of high net worth disillusions, high conflict divorces and complex custody matters. As women operating a leading Southern California law firm, we stand out from the rest by bringing compassionate, concierge support to our clients. Through our comprehensive and personalized approach to family law, our purpose is to help you go from surviving to thriving. Thank you for listening and please enjoy the rest of the show. I have three kids, like three kids yeah. in three different schools. Yeah. They're not driving yet. Like there is no physical way I can get them where they need to be and get to the courthouse. 
Yeah. I'm sure you had the same experience. Well, what did you do? I was terrified because I had been a stay-at-home mom for 15, since my third was born. So that was about 14, 15 years at that point. And so there was the, what am I going to do? Like, I'm living in the South, but I have an ag business degree. If you haven't noticed, there's not a whole lot of agriculture around where we live. So I'm like, but I eventually, I, you know, I knew I was a good writer. So I started digging into the things that I was good at and gratefully had enough cushion to, to figure some things out. And that's, I'm, I've always been very grateful for that because even though the financial part is scary, no matter what, um, but you know, getting back to what I was doing for them, it was like, I really had to get my feet on the ground. And one of the things that I've noticed that once something that I look back on that I did for probably like maybe three months after he left, I was trying to make everything okay. And all of a sudden I'm standing in my kitchen one day and I'm like, this is not sustainable. Like I'm literally going to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Cause you think you're like, Oh, I can make like, I'm going to fix it. You can't fix it. Right. Like you can't fix it. You have to find a new normal. Yeah. And the one thing I will say that very quickly I figured out was like, it was very freeing to do things my way. Yes. <laughs> yes. And be a little more like a milk spilled. Who cares? Like, it's fine. Like everything, like it's, you have to learn to come down and like, let it be a little bit messy. And just as long as your kids feel safe. Right. You cannot perfectionist, you will perfectionist yourself to death. Let's pause for a moment. I just want to take a yeah. because everything you just said is so, so important. And I had a very similar experience. And I think we don't talk about this enough. So like you, I wasn't working at the time that we split up. I was, after I had my third child, I had been traveling a lot for my work prior to that and decided it was untenable. And our marriage was going to fall apart. So I stopped working. So the best, the worst case scenario, I think that could be possible in one of these situations happened, which is I wasn't working, realized we needed to get divorced. My dad had been helping us a lot who lived close by, three kids, mm -hmm. three different schools. He passed away. And then the law firm where I had practiced law dissolved. So like you, what am I going to do? And also just a perfectionist, if you, you know, if we look at our history, probably it's similar in that that's one of the things that comes out of the generational stuff. So right. you're a perfectionist. I know, you know, you were a volleyball player and all these things. Um, and here we are in this situation. We thought our life course was set and all of a sudden it comes apart and you can't be perfect. No. It's impossible. And like you, it broke me. And it saved me. Yeah. Because it's okay. Yeah. It's better to be real. The spilled milk doesn't matter. And it causes you to really, from 30,000 feet, reassess, like, how am I going to do life? Yeah. But and and we had to figure it out. We were forced to come up with solutions. Yeah. So what were some of the solutions that you came up with with spilled milk, three carrots? <sighs> not working well how'd you get through that? the one thing i will say and i've told a lot of people this um from right out of the gate from that summer um that first summer where i was on my own with them and i was like okay there's three things i'm gonna do for myself every week and um, i live close to the beach i was like i'm gonna get in the water every day i'm gonna go to yoga five times a week and then i'm gonna go to church on sunday Oh, I love this. I, I have chills. I love this. And I was like, if you I figured out three things for yourself. Yeah. You weren't yeah. so worried about you. You had. And, and when I talk about in my book, um, in every chapter, I talk about wellness. But really, it's about what you just described. You have to take care of yourself or you can't take care of anybody else. Yeah. And I knew what they needed was consistency. Right. And I'm like, OK, if they can see consistency from me, which I'm grateful that, that, that that's always been something that comes naturally to my personality. Like I, I'm, I like order. I like calm. I like keeping things 
you know, and, and granted, I mean, Ashley can attest my ADD is off the charts, but I really do like order. <laughs> so I, um, I just did those three things. And then out of those three things that kept me grounded and I can do what they needed right. and started watching for the little things in them just to see like, you know, some of, some of times your kid, you have ones that want to talk, you have ones that clam up, you have ones that want to go to therapy, you have ones that won't. And you have to just, to me, you never force. Like I had, you know, it's, it's parenting's like that. You really have to watch for their personalities and yeah, there's that sense of order and rules and stuff, but you have, you, you, you don't treat them different, but you, you connect with them differently. Right. You meet them where they are. So we started watching all that and, um, yeah, it was, it was a time. I mean, it, I look back on that, but I also look and what I was going to say is my kids started becoming more responsible for their own stuff and the things that you're really scared of and that like, yeah, my kids are not going to be switching houses. I don't want to shuffle bags back and forth and all that stuff is scary. And then, but when you start to see them kind of taking ownership of their own little lives, as long as you're supporting them, it's, I mean, that's what the, the hard stuff is what makes them great. Right. And parenting them through the hard stuff is what actually makes parenting great. That's true. That's you know? really important. So let's talk about this. Um, I agree with you 110,000%. So I think a lot of times people will avoid divorce because they want to maintain their lifestyle. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want things to be hard. And yet discomfort and moving through discomfort is how we evolve. That's a much bigger concept, but never is it more true than when you have three children, there's spilled milk, you don't have a job to turn to, and you've got to figure out a way to move forward in your life and you have people three young children that are or four young children or in my case three that are dependent on you yeah it makes you mentally strong you figured out a way to still be physically strong to set that example for them and to give them the opportunity to trust that they would find their way and how are they doing now what have their challenges been and how when we look at through this prism of divorce that happened a number of years ago, how did this benefit them as young adults? Well, it's interesting because one of the moments I look back on um, in my own evolution of like, oh gosh, something needs to change, was when you start to watch your kids create, they're they're copying, right? They're modeling whatever habits and, and ways you're dealing with other people. And I remember looking and seeing my oldest daughter start to be like that real that people pleaser that Mm. where you're you're giving too much of yourself without taking care of yourself and you're pleasing so to fill your self-worth right to to, like other people are going to give you that validation and somehow that's going to make you feel better and i was definitely one of those people and i watched her start to do that with with her dad and i was like i remember watching it from across the kitchen and i thinking it's one thing for me to do that. I don't want to see, I don't want her doing that. And I I never saw it before. And that realization, you know, it, it pushed me into that place where I was like, yeah, something's wrong here. And so now fast forward six, seven years and they're strong. Like they're, they're, they've been through some really hard things, but they're, those hard things, and my daughter and I are very, my oldest and I are very, we're all very close, but they're all pursuing their passions. They're, one's graduating from college in May. My other one's a junior um, at Stanford. He's playing volleyball. Um, my third born is headed to Hofstra next year, and she just finished her theater run and is going to film be a film major at Hofstra. So she's got this amazing creativity and gets a lot of her emotion, like her emotional angst that comes out in her theater performances. And you're like, 
wow, look at that. And then my fourth is he's a freshman at Redondo and he has, a, he worries a lot. So as I think when, you know, just from my experience, when you go through this upheaval at a younger age, and he was nine going in 10 when we were splitting, there's a lot that they don't understand maybe. And so I'm starting to unearth that stuff with him at like 15 going on 16. And a lot of it will come out through just watching TV together, you know, and I'm not a TV watcher, but I'm like, oh, this is somewhere we, we can connect. So looking for those places where we've been able to connect and then drawing that conversation out with them is, is huge. And I've done that with TV, with music, like getting into the music that they like when they're stuck in their room and you're like, oh, if I put the Hamilton playlist on, my daughter will come out of her room, you know, like stuff right. like that. Um, that's gotten us to places where, you know, we talk. And yet it's also a thing where you can't hold your kids. They're not there to take care of you. Right. You're there to take care of them. So if they go off to college and they don't call you every day or they, you know, go through a time where you can feel that distance and like, I can tell, okay, they're going through something. Just a text that's like, hey, I'm here if you need me. I love you. But don't put that pressure on them. They learn to thrive and they come back. Yes. They're not meant to be attached to you all the time. We're the window. Right? We're the window. And and I I love you're such a shining example of good um, single parenting. The fact you know that your children are moving forward with their lives in many different ways in different directions is evidence of what a great job you've done. And I want to I want to go back and touch on this people pleasing. Um, so in my experience, what I have come to learn is that. That is something, you know, when we talk about generational healing, um, that definitely happens particularly in young women, usually right around the age of 15 when they hit puberty. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, it typically happens for almost all young women, but I think that when we're going through a divorce, it's like putting a magnifying glass on this people-pleasing tendency, particularly with daughters of divorce. I witnessed this in my own family. Um, I witnessed this with my clients, and I think it's something that um, requires more attention. So, um, people pleasing, as you noted, is is something that results from um, lack of well, from what I understand, lack of self confidence, and you see it a lot in girls, adolescent girls, preteens, middle schoolers with their dads. And then you start to see a variety of other issues arise if it's not dealt with. What are your thoughts? It sounds like you and your daughter, you've facilitated and supported her working through that. Since it's such a, a prevalent issue and it can be so problematic, what are some specific tools or advice you would have to mothers in this situation so we can be supportive of our daughters when we see this happening? Yeah, I think it's hard, particularly in in split families, if that father-daughter relationship isn't strong or they're wrestling with that, you know, wanting that love and that really that unconditional love of like, no matter what I do, like I have the safe place to land. And they need that. And daughters really need that from their dads. They really do. And if they don't have it, that people pleasing, I think, arises even more. And I don't think parents, parents don't know, and this is part of that self-awareness process, they don't know that they're not giving what their child needs. They, it's not like, I don't think most parents go out and say, I'm, I'm trying to hurt my child. No. It's like a lack of emotional awareness of right. what that child needs. Right. And they're still children. And the thing is, even, and you and I have talked about this, like, Adult children are still your children, right? Yeah. And, and you're always going to love them just like you loved that tiny little baby. Like, it doesn't change. And the thing I would say is, like, really, to, to have that relationship with your child, you have to look at yourself. And if you're not able to look at yourself in the mirror and realize, like, what, and this is where the generational healing comes in, it's not a blame, but what went on in your childhood, if something's missing for you, 
you have to go figure out how to fill that bucket so that you can give it to your child. So if you didn't have the emotional support, you might then go model that, like, you don't know how to give it. But that's where the therapy comes in, the somatic healing, the, you know, going back and looking at what happened and then realizing, like, how can I change it? And that's a very, it's a very conscious effort. Otherwise, our subconscious takes over and we repeat the pattern. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's encouraging communication. I would say, like, I, I never, I, I would always encourage my kids to have a good relationship. Like, like, ask the question, go talk to your dad, have that, have that conversation. But if it doesn't go the way that you want it to go, if it doesn't feel good, like, come back and talk to me. I love that. Yeah. Because, yeah. right. I mean, sometimes um, our spouses or ex-spouses are not as evolved as we would hope that they would be, or they may have other priorities. So it's like a setup for a daughter sometimes. Yeah. And so I think it's super challenging and really important to shine a light on this because what I found is for a number of years, I was sort of like the mom and the dad mm. in that um, I really carried both those roles, which of course is a lot to carry. And I think that to some extent, you know, my children did, um, you know, well, let me put it this way. In the work that I do now, I strongly encourage my clients to do whatever they can to facilitate a relationship with the other parent and really employ a lot of um, support around co-parenting when it's appropriate, there are times when it's not, and I'll talk about that and we can talk about that in a moment, but when it's appropriate, because the long-term effect of estranging daughters from their fathers is significant. Oh, yeah. And and we see that in this whole generational aspect, it just gets, it's, it, it creates PTSD, people pleasing, and it just gets passed down over and over again and creates so much disharmony and yeah. dysfunction. Um, in my practice, I mean, there are certainly instances where, you know, if one parent is unwilling or unable to show up in an appropriate way, then the other parent really has to take on, um, the responsibility of kind of being mom and dad. Yeah. Um, but there again, I think, as you were saying, if we can, if we can provide support for women or men that are in that parenting situation. Yeah. And, and help them know that they're not alone and give them the tools, some of which we've talked about today, yeah. That's that can be invaluable. Well, and it's also like it's accepting, too, that like two houses, they can be different and it can be okay. And then letting your kids see the difference and letting them gravitate to what feels good to them and not being threatened by what's going on. Like if you're strong in yourself and you are confident in the way you're doing things, it can be done differently in the other home and it doesn't have to set, threaten your sense of security where all that, like your insecurities are going to come out and then that's when you start judging and blaming and, you know, all of that. It's like, oh no, this is how we do it here. I love that. I mean, because one of the things that can come out of um, where there's generational suffering, which is the opposite of generational healing, is being controlling, you know, and, and divorces where these power struggles happen. And a lot of times I will have clients that will not want their children to go to their ex-husband's home or, or, you know, when they're in the middle of separating the husband's home. So, you know, he doesn't have the same bedtimes or he doesn't teach them the same foods or, you know, they'll come to me and want me to go to court because they want their kids to be vegan and he doesn't. And, you know, I have to explain to them, the judge doesn't care. He just wants, you know, wow. he just wants them to get fed. Yeah. So I like your approach and your mindset that it's okay. And I think when we're solid within ourselves, I, I had an epiphany when I was going through my divorce and I won't be surprised if you didn't experience, experience the same thing. So we were in a pretty hotly a high conflict divorce post judgment after the judgment was entered over the kids for about five years. About five years into it, we've been in court pretty much every six weeks. I just decided I'm not doing this anymore. This is like destroying my kids. I can't get my own practice off the ground because I'm, you know, this is all, this yeah, is a energy job. Yeah. Too much energy. Right. 
we got to change something. This is when I have my epiphany. My children at the time were seven and 11. This is, as a family law attorney now, I realize this is so unorthodox, but I just called my ex-husband up. I was like, let's just let the kids decide. We were set to go to trial. It's like, let them decide. It's like, okay. So I was confident enough that I was showing up for them in an appropriate way that I wasn't going to lose them, you know, which I wasn't worried about. Yes. And what actually ended up happening, as you pointed out, is they gravitated to where they needed to be. Yeah. They got what they needed to get. It freed me up then to have my own life, take care of myself, start my practice. And so I think a really important message to share with the people that are listening and watching this podcast is you don't have to be so worried about um, controlling or losing power in these situations with your children. They're going to go to where the love is. Yeah. And if you show up with love and you're there for them, and like you said at the beginning, the number one thing to children of all ages is is feeling safe. That's all they care about. And they love both their parents. Yeah. They don't need to know how the sausage got made, as my dad used to say, yeah. or who did what. It's irrelevant to them, and they shouldn't be brought into that. All they need to know is that they're loved and they're safe. Yeah. And if we provide that for them, they'll they'll spend their time where they need to be to get what they need to get. Has that that been your experience? Completely. And it's like, especially as they get older through their teenage years and like, you know, you'll 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 start to have drivers and they can drive across town or whatever. I mean, my ex and I don't live very far from each other. And my kids started to, you know, like, hey, can I stay at dad's tonight? Sure. As long as I know you're in and you're safe, no problem. It worked for him that night. I don't know if there was something going on on the walk street or they're like, but I, I also like you have that relationship. And obviously if you know something, if they're trying to pull one over on you, your parenting instincts will kick in, but don't make it about yourself. Why doesn't she want to come home here? That's the question. Like as long as they're in and they're safe, I'm like, yeah, you're good. I never have wanted them to feel guilty about having that relationship with, with their dad. That's what they need. That's what they want. That's what kids, they crave that. It, like, I am not their dad. So if they can have a healthy relationship with their dad, please. It's so much better for them. And so basically it just comes down to like, don't don't weaponize your children. Right. Which is just like, that sounds so harsh. But in the end, if you're going back and forth to court and trying to control the diet and the bedtime and then they need to, they have to do this activity. Now, I do things that are different at my house than would go on of, you know, that maybe he wouldn't choose, but I have 50% of the time to do, to do things the way that I want to do them that I think is good for them. That's good enough. You know, I mean that I, I prefer to be in this is maybe this is a kind of a spin on co-parenting. I found so much strength coming through my divorce and really found so much clarity in the way that I was always a good parent and I always was really passionate about parenting. But being able to do, to see things, to have a home the way that run, the way that I feel like is best, and then having the time off, which I hadn't had before. And even though they're still calling and you know, you, you do little things, you're still go to a meeting here and there, but you have that 50% of the time. I was, I didn't even, I, I didn't even know what to do with myself. So not feeling guilty about that 50% of the time or whatever percent you don't have your kids, like don't spend that time trying to control their life over there or feeling guilty that you're not doing something like use it to work on yourself. I love that. Yeah. I love that approach. Cause we don't have that as moms. Often we don't have that. So, I mean, I'll take help when I can get, <laughs> and I don't think I used to be that way. So, but yeah, it can be overwhelming, but there's a lot of things that come through that space that where you, you really learn a lot about yourself and you let your kids be who they are and root for them to have that good relationship with their I love that. Let them be who they are. Yeah. 
So along those lines, um, one of the things that I think you and I appreciate at this point in our lives, having raised children, having been through um, a marriage, um, is that in order to be healthy, it's really important to ignore other people's opinions of us. I hope you're enjoying this conversation on what I meant to say, produced by my company, Be Better Media. To see the world of why we are striving to share inspired edutainment, I invite you to please check out our website, BeBetterMedia.tv. Here you will find all kinds of great stuff from upcoming new productions to lifestyle products and services I personally use and endorse, to links to great books and other podcasts I love and recommend. Please check us out at BeBetterMedia.tv. That's BeBetterMedia.tv. Particularly, I think, for daughters and sons, but especially young women with social media and whatnot, it's really hard. And I think it's becoming harder to um, to be immune to that. I mean, I know that so many young people value their existence based on the number of likes they get when they're posting on social media. They're taking their own lives in record numbers. Um, you know, the, the effects of social media, on the one hand, you and I both use it to build our businesses. So like anything, there's two sides to every coin. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Yeah. It's how we get our message out. But on the flip side, what are your thoughts raising for young people um, with respect to social media and, and how can we support them in having a healthy relationship with it? I mean... That's such a huge question today. And, and the way that it's all come on and then going through the pandemic and then having that time where we were just so disconnected from each other and maybe it became even more of a tool when everybody was off in their houses and, and not being able to, to really connect in person. I think what we're seeing now is an explosion of kind of the, the what you're describing because, um, they do put so much value in their virtual life and you'll see it. I mean, like, but school buses are quiet now, like a car ride of kids that used to be rowdy. Everybody's quiet and they're probably Snapchatting with the kid next to them. You know what I mean? Sending their yeah. face back and forth. It's right. It's like, it's to be giving that to such young kids. I am really worried about that because my kids are just old enough that they didn't really come on until they were, you know, in high school, maybe my youngest but there, I think it goes back to the, I mean, I hate, to, it goes back to slowing down mm -hmm. and having those conversations and creating places to have the conversation. But those relationships that you build, what probably scares me the most now is like when I see little kids in a stroller and now they're holding, so that that's going to go straight into social media and that validation that's coming from the phone rather than from the parent or that connection that you started, because you have to build that from when they're little. Right. You can't all of a sudden come in when they're 16 and say, hey, those likes don't matter. You should listen to, you know, what I say. Like that connection needs to be built from when they're young. Right. And I always tell this to people, like, I remember when my kids were little and I'm tall, I would get down and like look in their eyes. Yeah. And like, and I still remember that's one of my best memories of just being able to talk to them on that level. Yep. It's so important. Yeah. Now there's tech everywhere. So I think this problem is only going to get worse if we don't really create spaces where we can connect, which is what I love about the storytelling venture that, you know, I've started is we have to be able to have long form conversations with our kids. Right. Whether that's happening around the dinner table, it's happening in the car on the way to practice. They have to be able to trust you. And again, that goes back to that consistency. Like they got to know what they can expect from you. Mm -hmm. And so if they know what they can expect from you and they know that you're going to show up for them, they will trust, even though you're going to go through your teenage ups and downs and they're going to go through their stuff. But one thing I've said to my kids, all of them in the last week, if you're having a hard time, will you please come talk to me? Because if you read the news out there, it's terrifying. If you hear young kids talk, on a Zoom, like we've been working with some volleyball teams, that they are, there's a fear out there of, there's a fear of failure, there's a fear of not being liked. 
it comes through in every conversation mm -hmm. and they want to know how you're going to, how do you handle the hard moments? Those are the questions I'm hearing from young kids. Like, what did you do when this bad thing happened? Or what should I do? You have to have those conversations with them. And yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, before we started the, our discussion today, um, that your, your youngest, your son, um, surfs. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica with my daughter um, a few weeks ago and learned how to surf. And, you know, being in that setting where we can't use our phones, whether it's on a surfboard or in a yoga class or these experiences in nature, you know, where, you know, we have to, when we were in Costa Rica, we were kind of off the grid. So I just put my phone away. Yeah. I came out of there feeling, and I, I many of the people, other folks that were on our yoga retreat expressed the same thing. We felt lighter. We felt more energized. We felt super connected. I feel like it strengthened the bond with my daughter um, it, and so many of the people in the group. And I think a lot of it was because we were connecting in the old fashioned way. We were sitting around a long dinner table every night. Yep. We were talking with each other. We were playing games. Uh, we weren't on our phones. We were entertaining each other with whatever our God-given gifts are. We had a guy on the trip who was a rapper that we found out when we were there. Another gal who was super quiet who ended up being a wonderful artist who did an impromptu like art class. We were riding horses. Not not everybody is able to take time off and do this, but but it's not a selfish thing to take time out to have these experiences with our children in particular, yeah. where we get them away from their technology and we're forced to experience nature and be taken out of our comfort zone and connect with one another. Yeah, you hit on something right when, that's so big that I would also say will help kids with the, the social media likes. Everything you just said, I totally agree with. Helping our kids connect with what they're passionate about. When I said, let them be themselves, instead of kind of thinking that you know what's best or forcing them down this path that maybe you see, letting them be themselves and connect with their passion will also, that'll boost their confidence in such a way that social media is then like secondary. Yes. Right? They're going to use the social media to push out their talent, whether right. it's theater, volleyball, what you know, surfing, arts, whatever it is. When you're using social media for that, rather than the superficial, that's huge. It's where it's at. I've seen this happen with my son who really enjoyed gaming. Mm -hmm. And then he um, got on the crew team at UC Santa Barbara. And to watch the transformation in him um, where he had, like you had volleyball. Mm -hmm. I grew up at a time when girls weren't able to play many of the same sports that are available now. So I was a dancer. I was a ballet dancer. Um, but to watch my son develop his confidence, he created opportunities to meet people and completely um, took him out of this place, kind of this this direction he was headed where, you know, he really enjoyed his video games after he completed his schoolwork, has opened up his life in ways that it just blows my mind. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. And the way that they develop that reward circuitry in their brain, which social media gives, like there's a book called Dopamine Nation that just came out not too mm -hmm. long ago. And it like these kids understand, one thing I will say, they understand brain chemistry better than the than my generation did. I didn't know what dopamine was till I was 40. You know, I wasn't listening in biology class. It didn't matter to me until a it mattered to my kids. <laughs> right, right. Um, that's yeah. when I started learning all about the nervous system and the human biology and how our cells work and that you're hitting on something with, you know, exercise, community, teams, whatever it is they're going to have that's going to get their body and their mind going rather than because gaming is, yeah, it's so popular and there's a whole, there's esports and all of this stuff, but you're sitting still. Right. We have to connect with nature. We have to move. We do. Or our brains are 
starved, like were significantly changed and not in a good way. In Great Britain, um, what they're doing now for people that are depressed, instead of sending them to a psychologist or a therapist, they give them a personal trainer. And they found that the results of getting into a, a program where they're moving every day match the same results that they would get or exceed the results that they would get um, if they were prescribed medication. And so I just think it's so important to remember this as we're raising our children that, you know, and it's really hard to make them get out and do something they don't want to do. They really have to find what it is, whether for your son, it was surfing. Yeah. For my son, it was rowing. Um, for my daughter, it's been yoga um, and Pilates, whatever their thing is. Mm-hmm. My view is it doesn't really matter as long as they're getting yeah getting movement each day. Just like you got to eat oh, each day, exactly. And it doesn't critical. even have to be competitive. Like if you're, I hear right. people say like my child's not competitive. That's okay. Like creative, um, expressive movement. That's it. It does not have to be competitive because this world is so competitive and everybody's in their club sports and they're running 15 different directions and they're paying thousands and thousands of dollars. It's like disconnect from all that stuff and look at your kid and see like, what do they want to do? And then can you do it with them? And they're little. Also the club sport thing. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Is that because that was a deficit in your life? Yeah. Is that really the best thing for your child to be in two club sports where yeah. they have no time to relax and engage with their friends or ride their bike in the neighborhood. I, I just think, yeah, that's a really important point. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it and it's like if they lead you in that direction, and you know, I have two that played Division One college sports, and that was a good road for them, but that was their road. I love it was, that. It wasn't me. And people say, oh, "How did you get these?" I took them to practice, and I made their dinner, and I. You know, I, 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 it was, it was their push. And then my third, she, she completely said, no, I don't want to do this. And she went to theater. And for me as a volleyball fan, I love going to volleyball tournaments, but I had to come to the point where I will, I said, well, Kate, it's not like you're telling me I can't play volleyball. <laughs> and so you should probably do what you want to do as long as you're doing something right that you're passionate about that right. you're going to be invested in. I'm like, as long as you're not, because she was real nervous and scared and sad to tell me. And I was like, no, this isn't about me. This is about you. And then I'm going to go out and play volleyball and you're going to go do your theater. I love all. that. So. That's amazing. You're such an example for all of us. Um, and particularly, I think, for women and men who are contemplating or going through divorce and facing some of these, they're frightened, they're scared um, and have questions. I really appreciate what you've been able to share with us about, especially your your parenting through Thank that you. process. Thank you. It's a gift. So, Wendy, I ask all of my guests three questions, and they are, first, what did you learn from your divorce? That there's no perfect path, that the authentic path looks different for everybody, and there are ways to be happy and every type of situation if you're willing to go inward. And what did you do during and after your divorce that was supportive for your children? It's that presence. It's, you know, there's a lot of things in single life that will start to pull you away. And the thing I have always told my kids, once you are a parent, you don't come first anymore. So when you start to go through this and you feel like you're having your second, oh, you know, my, this, this stuff's coming up in you and you're dating or you're like really coming back to, you really still have to give them what they need first. And that, that consistency. And third, what would you advise women who are going through divorce? Keep going. That's not always going to feel like this. And the evolution is, it, that's, it is, it's your growth. It's a path that's going to make you know yourself better, help you know yourself better, and just keep going because every day feels different and some days are going to feel awful. But more and more as you evolve through it, it it's, 
you get a truer sense of yourself and everything's going to be okay. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I know that our listeners and those who are watching are going to walk away from this with so much love and support and a, a real example of how to be uh, in a really tough situation. And I think that that's what our viewers and, and those who are tuned in, they need to see that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for seeing that in me. And I appreciate the connection we've had for a couple of years. So I, I, I'm really glad we got to this conversation and I'm excited to see what happens with your podcast because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah.